thank you for giving that time. I think it's uh, important for us to worship Him, uh, and He is certainly deserving of it. Well, if you would take your Bibles and uh, turn to Mark chapter number 11, Mark chapter number 11, and uh, as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing, if you're physically able to do so. If you are an expectant mom, you don't have to. And I'm grateful that I am not one of those. Mark chapter, aren't we all thankful that I'm not an expectant mom, right? Uh, Mark chapter number 11, and uh, we're going to look here this morning at verses 15 through verse number 19. And uh, Mark chapter number 11, and I'm going to go ahead and read this whole passage here. The Bible says this, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And let's pray together one more time. Lord, we thank you now for your word. And we recognize and acknowledge that it is the perfect word of God. And Lord, as we come to this particular passage, Lord, it's a, it's a pretty intense passage. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what you'd have for us today in this passage. Help me to clearly articulate the truth here. And I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and a heart to receive and a heart and willingness to apply the truth to our lives. Help us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, last Sunday, uh, the message title was, Where's the Fruit? Um, And that was a little bit of a play on the Wendy's commercial, Where's the Beef? Um, I don't have any uh, funny commercials to go along with the title today, but the title is Cleaning House. Uh, The reason I mention last week's message is because this passage is sandwiched in between the passage we studied last week. If you recall, we looked at verses 12 through verse 14 as we saw when Jesus was hungry and coming from Bethany to Jerusalem, seeing that fig tree, hoping that there would be food, And realizing that although it had leaves, there were no fruit on the fig tree, he cursed it in verse number 14. And then we have the passage that I just read a moment ago, as Jesus comes to the temple and cleans house. And then in verse number 20, it picks up at the end of it, uh, we talked about last week, how that the next morning as they passed by, they saw that fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. 
And so we're going to refer back to this a little bit as we go through this, because it is interesting that the, Mark includes the fig tree, kind of the before and after, and then in the middle of this sandwich, these two pieces of bread here, we find this scene where Jesus enters into the temple and completely cleans house once again. Now, uh, with that in mind, um, I, now I realize that we're well into the summer months, uh, but, uh, but this past week, Julie and I have recently kind of gotten an inkling to do some spring cleaning. Uh, this past Friday night, uh, many of you may remember the little storm that came through on Friday evening and brought with it a little bit of a cold front, and it was a perfect time to clean the garage. And uh, I've been wanting to do it for a long time, and finally, uh, the weather allowed it a little bit. I still was sweating profusely, uh, but went in there and uh, did some cleaning, and it feels so good to get that garage looking good again. And I was thinking about this, like I, th- there are some things that I covet, things that uh, I don't really want to share publicly, but there's one thing I don't mind sharing with you is I covet or love a clean, organized garage. And uh, it's been so long since we've had a clean, organized garage, especially with children, um, that uh, does hinder that garage from being super clean and organized. Um, and not to mention some of the things I do, too. I can't blame it all on the kids, okay? Uh, some of it's my fault, too. Well, my wife kind of saw me doing that, and she's like, well, there's things that I want to clean, too. And so she gets into the kitchen and takes out all the spices and, uh, and cleans the little thing that spins the spices around and cleans all that and puts all the spices back. And she kind of got into some doing some spring cleaning. And uh, then she, yesterday she went and totally cleaned Mark's room. And that was, I, uh, I didn't even want to go near that one. Uh, but but uh, she went in there and, and did uh, some real deep cleaning there and, and vacuumed uh, several times, emptied the vacuum and and, and, and did that several times. I think she said four times she did that. I'm like, wow, that kid is, I mean, you, you know, the, the, the Peanuts character uh, that always has, what's his name? Pigpen. Okay. You get the idea. That, that was Mark's room uh, there. And uh, it, was, it was pretty amazing. Well, uh, it, it's, it's good to clean house from time to time, right? And and, and here Jesus enters into the temple and does just exactly that. He cleans house. And uh, there's some important lessons for us to learn as we go through this passage and consider uh, Jesus cleaning house, cleaning his house, the house that was supposed to be the house of prayer. And uh, it was not the case. It was actually a den of thieves. And uh, Jesus comes in and cleans house. What are some of the things that we can learn from this? Well, uh, let's kind of walk through this and, and, and look at the story, and then we'll get to some lessons at the end here. Uh, first, let's look tonight, uh, this morning at the arrival of Jesus. In verse 15, it says, they come to Jerusalem. So th- this is just on the heels of Jesus talking to the tree. Now, you say, well, he's a little crazy to be talking to a tree. <laughs> well, uh, he was God, and, the, and the, the thing is, the tree heard Jesus. And, and, and maybe you have heard, like I have, that some people talk to their plants. Is anybody here willing to confess that you talk to your plants at home? Okay, I did see a hand go up. I thought there might be, okay, there's another one. Another hand for someone else has gone up. <laughs> 
Uh, well, Jesus talks to this uh, tree that looked like it was going to bear fruit, but it did not. And Jesus talks to that tree. And then on the heels of that, then he enters into Jerusalem and into the temple. Verse 15, they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple. Now, if you remember, in, in verse number 11, a couple weeks ago, we looked as Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. In verse number 11, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things. So as Christ comes in and, and takes, a, a, you know, takes it all in, on the scenes and the sights and the sounds, he, he looks at the temple and what was going on in there. And he says, we're going to need to do something about it. And see, these are all kind of connected here as we make our way through this passage. Jesus sees what happens in verse 11. And then verse 12, as he walks and, and is hungry, walks towards that fig tree and finds that it's empty and it doesn't have any fruit. It's a picture, of course, of Jerusalem and how, yes, it has religious activity. Yes, it has a lot of busyness and, and there, there's a buzz in the area, but there's no real fruit there. And so he comes and says, hey, we're going to deal with what I have seen when I first got here. Now, he came in upon the temple. By the way, this was not the first time Jesus was at the temple. Jesus visited the temple many times. If you uh, go over to the book of Luke, it's the next book over. Luke chapter number two. I want to show you a couple instances where Jesus was at the temple, at this, this special place. Luke chapter 2 and verse number, uh, let's see here. Yeah, verse number 20, I didn't write down the, the, the verse here, but uh, verse number 22, we'll pick it up there. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And where did they do that? Well, they did that at the temple. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now, thou, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which I was prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And so here there in the temple when Jesus was just eight days old. So that was the first time in his earthly life that he was there in the temple. Okay, then you fast forward later in this, in this chapter, and you go over to uh, verse number uh, 40, talking about uh, Jesus here. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And, uh, and, and remember the story how when uh, they uh, got done with their celebration and their uh, ceremony, then they, with their whole family and group, began to travel back to Nazareth. Except for they forgot their kid in Jerusalem. Okay, 
How could a parent forget their child anywhere? Okay, well, actually, we have done that on multiple occasions. In fact, it wasn't too long ago here at Cornerstone Baptist Church that we're home sitting, eating lunch, and Brother Blake calls me and says, Hey, did you guys remember you forgot your daughter at the church? We're like, Nope. <laughs> so he's like, It's okay. We'll bring, him over. We'll bring her over. And, and uh, it was like, Hey, sorry, we do love you, kind of. <laughs> Well, Mary and Joseph are walking away back home and thinking, okay, I'm sure, he, I'm sure Jesus is around here somewhere. And then they started asking the question, and it was like, okay, he's not there. Well, where was he? He was in this temple, and uh, we find him here in verse number uh, 46. It came to pass, and after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And so there he was in the, in the temple at eight days old. And then really they went every year as they were growing up. But then we know he was there at, at age 12 for sure because the Bible records that. Then in, uh, okay, then, then this isn't the first time he cleans house in the temple. You, do you realize that this happened actually two times in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ? If you go to John chapter number two, John chapter number two real quick. Let's just look at this, just to give you a little uh, idea of what, of what happened here. John chapter number 2, in verse number 12, it says, After this, uh, after the first miracle that Jesus performed there at the wedding in Cana, it says, And he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brother and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out all of the temple and, uh, and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise." And the disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And we can flip back to Mark chapter number 11 here. Uh, but see, this was not the first time Jesus was in the temple. He was in there many, multiple times. And uh, this isn't even the first time that he cleaned house in the temple. But here as he enters into Jerusalem, really for the last time before his crucifixion, he sees what's going on there and he arrives. And uh, really... Uh, as we consider the truth of the matter is that he arrived there in the temple, uh, one day he's going to come back and inspect us as well. Now hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it in a little bit. So we see the arrival of Jesus, but then number two, we see the abuse in the temple. In verse number 15 here, we see uh, when he comes to Jerusalem, began, uh, Jesus went to the temple and he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer any that man, any man should carry any vessel through the temple. So there was a people there in the temple that were abusing and misusing this place of worship. This was meant to be a place of prayer, meant to be a place of worship, meant to be a place where everyone could come and worship the great God, but it got abused. Now, what was happening there? Verse number 15 tells us, 
uh, he cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. Now, it was very reasonable and appropriate for people as they traveled in from the outskirts of the area to not bring their sacrifice with them. They, they needed to buy one while they were there. So it was appropriate for them to buy and sell, but just not in the temple. That wasn't where, where they were doing that because there was lots of places that offered that in the outskirts or throughout Jerusalem, just not in the temple. But it was happening in the temple. Why? Because it was convenient. It was close. It's kind of like, you know, I didn't go to the baseball game, but a few of the college and career uh, folks went to the baseball game last night, and they had food available at the baseball game. It's convenient. And they're able to charge a lot more when it's convenient. Uh, Too much. And you know what? That is exactly what was happening there in the temple where you could get a dove for, let's say, $5 uh, down the street, but here it's 10 because, well, then it's more convenient for you. And these people were pocketing that money and patting their wallets. So completely uh, fine to buy and sell, just not in the temple. And then there was the money changers, and some people were coming from an area where they needed to exchange the money so they could buy the sacrifices. And again, being that it was in the temple and being that it was a place of convenience, well, they were able to charge a little more for the exchanging process. And again, put that excess into their pockets. Well, then what were they doing? They were always... and, and. they were, they, were, they were just simply misusing and abusing the temple for their own selfish interests and gains. By the way, one commentator pointed out that where this was happening was in the court of the Gentiles there in the temple. The Jews were fine to do that in that place because we don't even like the Gentiles to begin with. They're unclean and we don't really like them at all. And so it's okay if we kind of set up shop in the court of the Gentiles because that's not really an important area of the temple. And yet, of course, we know that it is an important part of the temple because it's where God gave specific instructions regarding that. And, uh, of course, we know that the Lord loves the Gentiles just as much as he loves the Jews. And that the gospel is not just for the Jew but also for the Gentile. And uh, I would dare say most of us in here today are Gentiles. And aren't you glad that Jesus loves the Gentiles too? Because otherwise we'd all be in a world of hurt. But the Jews in that day, they had a disdain and they looked down upon the Gentiles because they weren't like them. And so it was okay to kind of desecrate their area. And, uh, you know, it was also inappropriate that... uh, that the religious leaders in that day were privy to what was going on. And, and I can't help but think that not only did they allow it, but they allowed it because it benefited them as well. I can't help but think, hey, we'll let you set up a little table here, but, uh, you know, there's a little royalty that I'm going to ask for, a little percentage that you can make sure I get because I'm letting you set up shop there. And so there was... A corruption in that way, and they weren't just serving the Lord out of this pure heart. They were doing it because, hey, I get paid to do so. 
and I get paid handsomely for letting them have this uh, table here. So there was tremendous abuse in the temple going on. But number three, I want you to see as we continue on through this passage, yes, Jesus arrived, and yes, there was abuse, but we see, thirdly, the anger of the Lord. This did not sit well with our Savior. He was not a happy camper, and rightfully so. And we see him express and display anger, and you say, well, I thought anger is bad. Well, when it's righteous indignation, when it's righteous anger, there was no sin here at all in our Savior. It was absolutely justified and absolutely appropriate for him to display this anger uh, for sure. Verse 15, uh, when he went into the temple, he didn't go around and shake hands with everybody with a big smile on his face and said, hey, you need to live your best life now. See, he went into that thing and he began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple. And I can't imagine him doing it in a very nice way. Hey, would you please, there, there's the door. Would you mind leaving? I imagine he was in a rampage. Brother Cooper, you ready for the camera? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you, I like it when you just kind of stay behind the pulpit because then I can sleep through the service. <laughs> This, this part, you may not be able to sleep. You may need to wake up for this one. But he was upset, Jesus was. I can just picture it in my mind. And, of course, I wasn't there. I'm old, but not that old teenagers, okay? Uh, but I can't, I can't help but think he was like, hey, you, get out of here. What are you doing? Get out. Stop what you're doing and get out of here. I'm not playing around. Get out. He was intense. He wasn't goofing around. He wasn't like trying to be nicey-nicey. I'm the nice savior that wants to be so kind to everybody. At this point, his father's house had been desecrated. And it was serious business. And Jesus didn't play around. So it wasn't like, excuse me, sir. I hate to bother you, but can you please leave? No, it says here, he began to cast out them that sold and bought, even those who were there to purchase. You get out too. Stop aiding these corruption, this corruption that's going on here. And then he overthrew the tables of the money changers, those who were sitting there exchanging money and, again, keeping a little extra for themselves. He took those tables, and, and I, I don't want to do that here, okay? But he just overthrew those things, and, and the money went everywhere. And, and I can just picture those people sitting there going, no, oh, and, and gathering all their money up and, and, and running away. I mean, he created a scene. Talk about drama. Talking about making the nightly news. I mean, Jesus made a tremendous scene here. And it says, it says here in ver at the end of verse number 15, and seats of them that sold doves. Those who were just selling these little doves, these helpless, harmless little doves, were sitting there. And notice here, he, Mark says that he just overthrew the seats of them that sold doves. In other words, not even harming the doves in the situation. That's pretty neat. God even cares about these doves and was more gentle with them than he was with those who were 
corrupt selling them. Then verse 16, it says this, And he would not suffer any that man any man should carry any vessel through the temple. He also didn't want just anybody walking through the temple as kind of like this little shortcut or uh, making, uh, making this house just kind of like a regular, uh, any run-of-the-mill building. This is a special place. And it wasn't being used that way. But we see his anger not only in what he did. By the way, for some who think that Jesus was uh, had a weak and effeminate physical presence. No. Um, you know, I, I don't. I honestly don't believe he had long hair. Um, I, I don't think that's in. That's not consistent with the Word of God at all. That's just what some um, first or second century artist did of him. Um, but anyway, I don't believe he had a weak and effeminate physical presence. I believe he was strong. He was a strong man. He was a carpenter for 30 years. And uh, I, I'm not a carpenter, um, but I remember, I remember working for four years at Staples, the office superstore. And I was in the furniture department. And uh, I sold tables and desks and chairs and filing cabinets and I would carry them out, sometimes with a dolly, but sometimes it was just faster and easier for me to carry it on my shoulder. And so I would. My, when, when my, first, uh, my f- the first guy I worked with, his name was Cedric. He was this big black guy. And he said, Eric, let me just tell you something about working in the furniture department. He said, either you handle the merchandise or the merchandise will handle you. And so you just pick it up like you own the thing. So I learned to do that. I would just pick things up, and, and, and right here, boy, this part of my back got pretty ripped after those four, four years. That rip has turned to something else. Okay, I'm not sure where that muscle went, but I was, I was able to take 125-pound uh, credenza and just throw it on my shoulder, no big deal, and take it out to the customer's car. I'm sure that Staples HR department, if they knew I was doing that, would be like, no, don't do that. You're going to... A workman's comp, no, please stop. use a dolly, use all this other stuff that takes way too long. Uh, but I was doing that. Cedric told me, hey, you better handle the merchandise. Well, I can just picture Jesus. He was not a weak man. He was a strong man. And he came in there and he took care of business. So we see his anger in his deeds. And then we see his anger in his declaration. In verse number 17, he said, he taught saying that unto them, is it not written? And perhaps he probably got maybe emotional at this point. Because this is, this, is the, this is the place of worship. This is the place of sacrifice. This was the place that people would bring sacrifices to for centuries so that it would ultimately point to the fact that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice for us. And he says, is it not written? My house shall be called of all nations, by the way. So yes, even the Gentiles, the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And here Jesus combines two Old Testament quotes. One from Isaiah 56 and verse number 7. If you would like to write that reference down, I'll read the verse. Isaiah 56 and verse number 7. 
He says, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, even the Gentiles who you've dismissed and who you've set up shop in the place that they were welcome. So Jesus refers and references Isaiah 56 and verse number 7, and then also in Jeremiah chapter number 7, verse 11. Jeremiah 7, 11. He says, is this, my ho- is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. What a prophetical verse. Because one day Jesus would walk into this temple and see it with his own physical eyes that this place of worship had become a den of thieves, a place of robbers. He didn't mince words. He was extremely upset that his house had become a den of thieves, and he wanted to make sure everyone knew how he felt and what the truth was. So we see the anger of the Lord. Not the only time that we see God angry in the word of God. We see him angry many times. We see the anger of the Lord. But then number four, we see the animosity of, of the leaders, the animosity of the leaders. As Jesus makes this big public spectacle, this big display and creating all this drama in this hub of worship, so-called, verse number 18 tells us how the religious leaders felt about it. The scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. See, this outburst of anger from the Lord created a domino effect, in that it produced a desire among the religious leaders of that day, which were the scribes and chief priests, to destroy Jesus. Why did they want to do that? Well, for the longest time they've wanted to do it, but now they really wanted to do it. They're like, that's it. This guy's going down. Enough of this Jesus. He's got to go. Why, why did they feel that way? Well, the Bible tells us why. It says, for they feared him. They were, afraid, they were afraid of him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. I believe the big part here is jealousy. They were wanting all of the worship and all of the accolades and all of the attention and now this man who comes and uh, begins to cast people out and overthrow the the tables he's the one that's now getting all the attention he's getting all the the news and they're not getting it anymore it also could be because they were receiving a kickback from all the sales that were going on and they were extremely bummed that they were gonna, it was going to affect their next bonus. But Jesus comes in and ruins all that. I'm sure they were also upset about Jesus interrupting the status quo because for so long this had been going on. And it's amazing to me, as I mentioned a, a little bit ago, that Jesus did this once before, didn't he? Back in, back in John chapter 2 as he started his, his ministry. And I imagine for a little while people were a little on edge about going and doing this, but 
after a while, Jesus wasn't coming around anymore, and he's out in, he's out in a different region of, of Israel. And so, hey, uh, let's get back to like Jesus isn't around, so uh, what do you say we set up shop again? And so they set up shop, and, and day after day, and, and uh, Passover after Passover, they're, they're doing this, and, and things are going well, and they're starting to get along just fine again. And now Jesus comes in and says, hey, I thought I told you already. I, I used a whip last time. Now I'm just going to use my hands and cast you all out and overthrow all these tables. I thought you got the hint last time. I guess you didn't. And these people woke up like they did every other day thinking, hey, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go make some money at the temple. And uh, these leaders are pretty upset now that Jesus is interrupting their status quo, the kind of the, the ritual, their schedule. He's interrupting that. I imagine there was a little guilt there, as Jesus said in verse number 17, hey, why have you made it a den of thieves? They knew the law. They knew what God's word said. They knew these verses. This was not like, hey, where did you get that from? They knew exactly. And they were feeling guilt, no doubt, but obviously jealousy. The Bible records that they were jealous. So their animosity and their bitterness and their loathing toward the Lord Jesus began to grow exponentially. And one commentator said, and in sense, what Jesus did here was he signed his own death warrant by doing what he did here in verses 15 through 17. The animosity of the leaders. But then number five, we'll see the astonishment of the people and i need to hurry here the astonishment of the people in verse 18 it says this because all the people was astonished at his doctrine the the people there as they watched and learned uh, about this were as mark says astonished uh, he became popular among all these people and the pharisees saw that their authority was lessened or destroyed and they were because of that envious of him and sought his to destroy his life and they began to uh, be impressed with what Jesus was saying. I mean, it was um, different than anything else that they heard from the scribes and these Pharisees and these chief priests. It was like, hey, I, this guy speaks with authority. He did have authority. And the people were astonished. And the people began to understand who he was or at least be intrigued by who he was. So we've kind of made our way, and then verse number 19, when even was come, he went out of the city. And the night fell, he said, you know what? I don't think he was afraid for his life at all. He knew that he had, no one was going to take his life from him. He laid his life down. See, so I don't think he was ever afraid for his own life, but I, I think for the sake of his disciples, let's go back to Bethany. Let's Let's retreat back to Bethany, just two miles away, and go and uh, sleep there for the evening. Because there was a little stir going on in Jerusalem. <laughs> let's just say that. Let's, uh, let's look at what this has to do with us. How does this impact us here today? So here's some truths for today. First of all, Jesus knows and cares about the condition of the house of God. 
there, there's a television program, and I haven't watched it in a long time, um, called Undercover Boss. This is where the CEO of the company goes and disguises him or herself and goes and tries to get a little job, you know, entry-level job at one of their restaurants or something of that nature and, and goes and then, you know, hopefully see some things that they can work on and, and improve as a, as a company. And then he reveals who he is later. Uh, to the employees he worked with and says, hey, you did such a great job or you did a terrible job. Uh, I'm going to need to let you go or whatever. Um, well, Jesus knows full well he doesn't have to come and disguise himself. He's here right now. Where two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst. And... He absolutely cares and knows about the condition of the house of God. If you turn over, actually you don't need to, but I'm going to, Revelation chapter number 2. Jesus writes seven letters to seven different churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And I, and I want you to listen to a phrase that is repeated in every of these letters, in each one of these letters. Chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And verse number 9 Verse number eight, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation. Verse number 13, or 12, and, and to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges, two edges. I know thy works where thou dwellest. Verse number 18, unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity and service and faith. Chapter, or verse number, uh, chapter 3 and verse number 1, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Uh, verse number seven, and the angel uh, of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Verse number 14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. See, Jesus knows our works. Uh, we can't hide who we are as a church. I want to remind us that it, we're, we're not in the temple this morning. We are in the church. We are in the house of God. And we learn from 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, that the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So today we are in a church which is the house of God. And, and we know that Jesus and knows and cares about the condition of the house of God. By the way, he is much more concerned with the spiritual growth than he is with the size growth of the house of God. 
He's more concerned with the life of the church more than he is the largeness of the church. In fact, in the seven letters to these churches that I just referenced, uh, never once did Jesus mention how big they were and congratulations, you're a big church. No, he congratulated even some who were probably very small for being faithful, for being obedient, for pleasing him. In fact, if there is a church that you say, well, I think this church was probably pretty big. It probably was the church at Laodicea. And they, they were considered a great church from the outside. No doubt everybody looked at them and say, wow, they have a great church. And even those on the inside thought they had a great church. And uh, no doubt they had the three, the three B's that all churches want, right? Bodies, buildings, and bucks. Uh, they want lots of bodies there, and they want lots of buildings, and they want lots of bucks coming in. And here's what they said in Revelation 3, 17. They said, I am rich and increase with goods. So if they said, hey, do you guys need anything? They'd be like, no, we're good because we have a lot. We are rich. We have increased with goods and we have need of nothing. Sadly, they were missing something very important. The Lord Jesus and his presence and his power in their ministry. And they didn't even realize, but Jesus said this. Knowest not thou that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? You don't even understand how much you need. You say you don't need anything? And this was probably the church that had the... And I'm not preaching against large churches this morning. But, but here's the deal. I would rather our church, Cornerstone Baptist Church, be a tiny, dinky church with faithful believers who are walking with God and growing spiritually each day, separating from the world and doing what we can to spread the gospel. I'd rather that than to have a huge church with lots of buildings and a big bank account filled with carnal, worldly Christians who are living for themselves and couldn't care less about souls. I would much rather us be a small church who are faithful, filled with faithful believers, than to have a huge church just with a bunch of carnal people who are doing whatever they want. I don't want to have to answer for that. I'd rather have to answer for a small group of people who are faithful and, 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 and give an account for that than to have this huge monstrosity of a church that is filled with all kinds of worldly people. No, thank you. I believe Jesus would much rather a church filled with faithful people who are obedient and growing spiritually. And so God very much cares about the condition of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Does he care about the size? Yes, and we're going to let him deal with that. Amen. The Lord addeth to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. Jesus said, I will build my church in the gates. That's, that's on him. We focus on being faithful. We focus on the right behaviors and trust him for the results. Amen. Do I want to see us grow numerically? You better believe I do. I want to reach this whole community for Christ, and I want them to all be members of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Yes. But I'm going to leave that in God's hands. And we're going to do what God's called us and instructed us to do. We're going to be obedient as best as I can as, a, as your pastor and, and as a member of this church. 
And I want to encourage you to do so as well as a member of this church. Jesus knows and cares about the condition of the house of God. Secondly, second truth that I want us to consider as we look at this and consider Jesus' cleaning house here is this thought that there is a purpose for the house of God. There is a purpose for the house of God. Again, in the New Testament church age, the church is the house of God and there is a purpose for the church. And I want to be very clear this morning that the purpose for the church is not to pad any of our wallets. Now, I realize that I do have, I do get paid here, okay? I I understand that, and I think that that's appropriate um, to take care of those who are uh, laboring in the Word of God. I I think that that's biblical and right, Um, but, but it shouldn't be something that I'm doing for filthy lucre's sake. The Bible does warn against that for me. That I need to be doing it not because I get a paycheck, but because I'm doing it because I've been called to do it, and I'm doing it out of obedience and my love for the Lord and for His people. So the church is not to pad anybody's wallet, mine included, but also yours as well. I know that some people come into a church and they're like, ooh, fresh meat. Because I've got this perfect MLM that everybody needs, multi-level marketing scheme that everybody needs. Everybody in this church needs the products and the business to help them so much. Uh, That's not what this church is for. If that's why you're here, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's not why Cornerstone Baptist Church exists, so that you can grow your tree or whatever you call it, your pyramid your whatever, your lines, whatever, how you ever call it. We're not here to turn a profit. This is not a place to solicit for your business. This is not a place to push your passion and agenda. Can I remind you, this, is the, this church is the house of God. It's his church. It belongs to him. Not to me, not to even all of us. It belongs to him. And we're instructed in 1 Timothy 3.15 that we, might, we may know how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. There is a behavior, and it is important for us to understand what is the purpose of our church. What is the purpose of our church? I went through this with, uh, for those who have joined the church in the last couple years, uh, I have gone through this with you. But very briefly here, and I know we're, we're about out of time, but, uh, but hang with me for just a few more minutes. Why do we exist? We exist, first of all, to exalt the Savior. It is His church. He died for it. He shed His blood for it. He gave Himself for it. And so we're here to lift Him up so that all men will be drawn unto Him. We are here to exalt Him. That is our first and foremost priority as a church, to please the Lord in how we do church. But then number two, it's to edify the saints, to build up the believers, to equip them for the ministry, to uh, build up our faith and to develop our understanding of the Lord and to grow in the knowledge, uh, to, the, to know in the, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to edify the saint. And, and we do that through our Sunday school and through hopefully the preaching and, 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 and through the Uh, fellowship that we have with one another to edify the saint. But then, number three, to evangelize a sinner. 
to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. That's our purpose as a church. But it's in that order of priority, by the way. We want to make sure that we don't get that out of order, that first and foremost, we exist to exalt the Savior. Yes, we are to reach the sinner, but when that becomes number one, then we begin to compromise many, many things. We'll, we'll say, well, let's bring in the rock music because sinners like that type of music. And if they can come in and, and we appeal to their flesh, then they'll come and, and maybe we'll sneak in the gospel and they'll get saved. The problem is, all the while, the Lord's going, hello, this is my church and I'm not pleased. So we want to make sure we keep exalting the Savior first and foremost. Yes, we want to reach the gospel, but we, or people with the gospel, but we can never compromise exalting the Savior in order to do so. The order is significant, and it needs to be maintained. So there is a purpose for the house of God. There was a purpose for the temple. It was supposed to be a place of worship. It was supposed to be a place of prayer, but it got abused. May the Lord help us, as long as I'm your pastor, for us to not abuse this place, to make sure we keep the focus where it needs to be on exalting and glorifying our Savior, to edifying the saints and reaching the lost with the gospel. May we keep that purpose in our minds. A third truth that I want to leave us with today is this. Keep the temple of the Holy Spirit clean. What happens at the moment of salvation? Well, there are several things. Here are some of the things that happen in our lives the moment we repent and believe on Christ. Here's what happens. We are saved. We are forgiven. We're born again. Our eternal address changed from hell to heaven. And one of the most amazing things that happens is that the Holy Spirit indwells us and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Jesus, in the passage we've been studying here in Mark, cleansed the temple. Well, now the temple is not some structure. The temple, I'm looking at a bunch of little temples. And I am a little temple. And growing every year that I'm a pastor. I'm, my, my pastor belly keeps growing. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We need to keep the temple clean. James 4.8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, it's easy to be critical of those who abuse the temple there in Mark chapter 11. I mean, how could they desecrate the temple of God? Can I ask you today, has there been abuse going on in your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Have you been defiling the temple with things that are damaging the temple? I mean, practically, what are some things that damage the temple? Alcohol. You say, oh, preacher, I don't get drunk. Can I ask you, when does drunkness begin? Like at what point? Why don't you just stop it before it could ever become drunkenness? Because alcohol is not good for our bodies, and it tweaks our judgment. 
And God wants us to be thinking right and to be filled with the Spirit, not be uh, under the influence of any other uh, substance like alcohol or drugs. And, and, you know, we live here in Moore, and Moore is like the capital of the world for dispensaries. It's like there's 800 of them everywhere you look. I mean, even one of them has kind of a Christian name, Cannabless. <laughs> but these are just ways that we can defile the temple of the Spirit. Uh, are, are we doing these things? Tobacco. Gluttony. We're about to be dismissed here and go eat. <laughs> you know, gluttony is in the Bible, too. And when we begin to gorge ourselves on food, we begin to harm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Those are some physical things that we can bring into our body that will destroy us and, and defile the temple. But there's also things that we can allow into our body and in our mind. I think about pornography and how rampant it is and what a stronghold it has and in American culture, this absolutely defiles the mind, which is part of the temple of the spirit. What about ungodly music? Look, can I remind us this morning, according to the verses that I read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that our eyes are not our own anymore when we belong to Christ? They're his eyes. Our ears are not our own ears anymore. Like, hey, I just like to listen to this music. I just like to look at that stuff. It's my choice. Would you stop trying to, you know, interfere into my habits? I'm trying to encourage you to keep the temple of the Holy Spirit clean is what I'm trying to do. By the way, I'm not the only one trying to encourage you. I'm sure the Holy Spirit inside is trying to prompt you to do the same. Keep the temple of the Holy Spirit clean. I mean, how would you like it if I came over to your house and, and uh, you know, brought a, all my garbage from my house and just dumped it all over your living room? You'd be like, Eric, what are you doing? Well, I didn't want it in my house. I wanted to bring it over here. No, you want to be in a clean house. The Holy Spirit wants to be in a clean house. Guess what? He deserves to be in a clean house much more than you do. And so how clean is your house? I mentioned at the beginning of the message that Jesus arrived at the temple and inspected it. Well, one day Jesus is coming back and will inspect us. The Apostle John pointed this out in 1 John 2.28 when he challenged us with this thought, And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. In Bible college, we would have white glove inspections. Do you remember that, Brother Blake? Julie, remember those? Those were special. You had to make sure the whole room was clean and dusted and spotless, and they would come in literally with white gloves and do this number. Okay, the merits for you. I mean, is you know, it's kind of it was super annoying. But listen, there is coming an inspection in all of our lives, called the great or called the judgment seat of Christ. And there's going to be Jesus who doesn't need a white glove. He already knows. He's going to see how well we kept the temple clean. 
So cleaning house, let me wrap this up here. Jesus came to the temple to do just that, showing how much he cares and values the sacredness of the house of God and the place of worship. So as a church, we need to be sure that our church is clean. And I'm not just talking about making sure the trash is picked up and the bathrooms have been cleaned, although we want to make sure that's going on too. I'm talking about what's going on in this church. Is it really a place of prayer and worship? Or is it merely a social club where we can advance our own passions? May God help Cornerstone Baptist Church truly be a clean church so the Lord can continue to work in us and through us to make a difference in our community and world for his glory. But it will only be so if we as individuals take our responsibility to keep the temple of the Holy Spirit clean and right. So today, can I encourage you to take inventory of your life, every area, and see if there's something that needs to be tidied up or cleaned. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time today to look into this intense passage of Scripture where we see the Lord Jesus in a little bit different light, where he's intense and angry and upset. Lord, help us to take to heart the lessons that we've talked about today. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed. Miss Pat, would you mind begin playing? And I want to give you an opportunity right where you are to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to ask the Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any area in my life that needs to be cleaned. Maybe God has already pinpointed that in your life.